So glad that you guys are here. I'm very blessed to be with you. I was here last Sunday. I know a lot of you guys might have not known that I was here, but I, my wife and I slipped in as like one of you guys coming in when the service was about to start or started, um, which is fine. I'm just glad you come. Uh, but we just slipped in over there and kind of participated. It was the first time in the 15 and a half years that we've been your pastor that I ever attended the service live without pastoring and preaching. So it was a pretty cool uh, experience for me. And I was very blessed to just see your response, be here with you worshiping. And uh, God's anointed the young man. There's no doubt that he has a call and a gift that God's placed on his life as he brings God's word. We're very blessed that God has brought him to us. I want you to know that uh, I am blessed to be your pastor. My family is blessed to be here in Tucson. Kim and I are so amazed at God's amazing grace to us and the fact that he would call us here, have us serve you, him, this city and community here, and then to have our sons, all of them married and being here with us serving Christ in the church. Uh, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's amazing uh, to have all of your children serving God in the first place and then have just, it's just God's good, man. He's amazing. And I want you to know that the challenges of life are always there. Um, tomorrow, Kim and I go back for her six-month checkup from her cancer surgery, and it's her first checkup. So she's been a little bit like, you know, wired a little for that. And uh, so we're expecting nothing but good things from, from the report. But, uh, you know, tomorrow we do that. She's downstairs teaching the kids. So I, uh, I want to mention something about her to you today. My wife is uh, an incredible woman. She is, um, was raised by an atheist father, not allowed to go to church. And uh, she had a desire to know God and know about him. She asked her dad one day if she could go to church. And he told her, nope, when you get old enough, you can make that decision for yourself. But in my house, you won't go. And so she had this longing to know God. Here I was, a preacher's kid, mad at God, mad at my family, didn't want to be there, but always went to church. Every time the doors were open, I was there with my family. And I, um, I held a lot of my own issues against God. I had a lot of issues, but most of my issues were created by me and my reaction to what was happening in my life. I blamed everyone else. I blamed my father, my mother, the church, God, and everybody around me for what was going on inside of me. But what was happening inside of me was I was making decisions that altered the path that God was trying to lead me on in my life. And so into my life, he brings this girl who was absolutely gorgeous. She was beautiful. And um, as soon as I saw her, I told one of my friends, I mean, she didn't even know who I was or I was on the planet at that time. We were in high school, you know, and I said, I'm going to date that girl. He's like, ah, yeah. I said, someday I'm going to marry her. And I did. God is so good, isn't he? I mean, I was just an ignorant boy that wasn't even found God at that time. But there was something inside of me that knew something about her was there. And so into my life, he brings this girl who knows nothing about God, church, the Bible, or anything, but she knows there's a God out there. And so, you know, you know how us boys are, guys, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, I can tell you about God, you know, <laughs> what do you want to know? I know it all. <laughs> Just <laughs> so God used her amazingly in my life as she asked question after question about God, about Jesus, about church, about things like this. And she just continued to pound me with questions to the point where I was very uncomfortable and kind of started to divert her to my mom. It was great. I mean, I was there and I didn't kind of, I could do this and kind of like, yeah, whatever. I heard all this and she could start dealing with her and stuff, but God used her on the very day that 
um, God would change my life forever. I was 19 years old in January of 1982. It was my wife's senior year of high school. We had been dating for a couple of years, two and a half, three years almost. I was standing in the front of the church, on that side of the church where I still stand usually, but I was in the very front row. And I was standing there in the end of the service, and the Spirit of God fell over me. Now, I want you to know, I had shut him off and told him to leave me alone many times, and he did. But thank God this one night, the Spirit of God fell over me with conviction. I was miserable in my life. I was angry, bitter, didn't like anybody in the world except Kim. Hated everybody, I mean that. I didn't like anyone. I despised people. And God came. And when the Spirit of God fell on me and He called me, I don't mean He filled me, I'm saying He fell on me with conviction. And I was miserably wretched inside. Thought I had an ulcer, drinking coffee, smoking pot every day, doing other stuff, kind of going up and down with all that stuff that you can use to help yourself with that had this pain in my stomach and the Spirit of God falls over me and says, come. And this voice of the enemy speaks so loud in my ear. If you go up there, she's going to leave you. I told you guys this before. It's, I'll never forget this moment in my life. I've never heard the devil's voice more clear in my life. It wasn't some hissing, satanic sounding thing. It was a voice of reason. And as it spoke to me, it said, if you go up there, she's going to leave you. She's going to think you're nuts, and she's going to be gone forever. That balance, right? It's like God's calling, but Dave has one desire in his life, and it's standing next to him. So the enemy says, you're going to lose it. The only thing that matters to you in this world, you're going to lose. This is why I love her so much, right here. In that very moment when those words ended, there was this pull on my shirt from this beautiful lady next to me and says, let's go do this together. <laughs> we gave our lives to Christ that day. Never looking back. Doesn't mean we haven't had challenges and trials in life, of course. I tell you this for a reason, church. I'm not just resharing something with you for, for just to share something with you. I'm telling you because... In this moment that you and I are living in, this very day where we are, whether we're at home, on the internet, whether we're at work, whatever we're doing when we hear this message, I want you to know that the deceiver is trying to use reason in your life to get you to not commit to what you know God is saying to you. Because God is calling His people like never before in the modern era of the church right now. When Pastor Josh was up here last week and he was reading from the book of Isaiah, the Spirit of God just fell over me and challenged me. It was a great message and I was engaged with what he was saying. And God said, hold this. He planted it in my heart. God did. In the middle of that message. And then I just continued with what was going on in the service. But I knew, and I was praying throughout this week, and as we looked, I want us to hear what the God spoke to the prophet Isaiah many, many years ago. He began his ministry 700 plus years before Christ. Church, laying the background, someone asked me how long I'm going to preach today because I haven't preached in two weeks, and I have a history of preaching long. <clears throat> yeah, keep laughing. 
<laughs> totally kidding. I realize what's going on today. I want you to know that when Isaiah began his ministry, when you begin in, in chapter 1 of Isaiah, we're not going to cover all 66 books. This is really important, though. As God began to speak through him, he was a priest and a prophet in a day where God's people were not serving God. And Isaiah is caught up with this vision of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. And when he saw the throne of God and those beings that we call angels around and they were there, and he saw them, and he describes them to us. And he's saying, like, all I heard was them saying, holy, 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 as they encircled the throne. And he saw the glory and the majesty of God. When he saw that, he was struck with conviction, fell face forward down into the ground, and said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people that is corrupt. See, in the moment when we are in the presence of God, the true presence of God brings conviction, awareness, self-understanding that, whoa, I'm jacked up. I need something more. And in that moment when Isaiah was there and he was repenting, God himself sent an angel from the throne with a coal of fire. You read it. Come down and it says it touched his lips and it says your sins are purged and removed from you. In that moment, Isaiah is still on his face, but he hears something. Church, listen, it's so important. It was in that moment when God removed his sin that he finally heard something. And what he heard was this. Who will we send and who will go for us? Before that, he didn't hear anything. All he knew was himself and his brokenness. But when he fell in repentance, all of a sudden, it was no longer about him. And he heard God. Amen. Who will go for us? Here I am. Send me. Here I am. I'm available. We were just singing about it. Isn't God amazing? So Isaiah begins this incredible ministry of calling God's people, not pagan people, although he spoke to pagan people in prophetic message. He was calling God's people to a, a realization that God's judgment was going to fall. For 39 chapters of his book, he is speaking about judgment, accountability, and a plead with God's people to repent and turn their ways. 39 chapters full of it. They didn't. God's judgment was coming and it was sealed. They were done for. In the midst of that, as God's giving Isaiah that message, God changes the message. God changes his message from one of judgment and a call to repentance. And in chapter 40, the whole thing flips. Why? Because judgment fell. And with judgment, God brought a message of hope and restoration. Isn't God amazing? He didn't just like say, huh, told you, you're screwed. Good luck with your journey. Immediately when God's people were in the condition of brokenness, God sends a message of hope and restoration. That's the way our God works. That's who he is. So God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he's talking to his people. And I want us to hear this right here. This is the message from the prophet 
to God's people from God. Isaiah 58.1 Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about the message of hope. We are, church. Hear it. We are. Yet, they act so pious. They come to the temple every day. And they seem delighted to learn all about me. A lot of amens. A lot of applaud. A lot of worship. Listen to it. They act like a righteous nation that will never abandon the laws of its God. Remember, this is God talking, remember. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why I responded. This is God. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? So we're going to pause in the middle of this message from God and remember and reflect that this is a message of hope and restoration. We need to keep that in mind because of what's going on here. When we see this, we need to learn something from it and what God is trying to teach His people. What we see in them and by them was an appearance of right living at least at worship. At least they were going through the motions of what God had asked them to do. So they were doing things that God himself had instructed his people to do and called them to do. Don't don't miss that. See, they were fasting. They were wearing burlap. They took off their robes. They were in ashes. They were going to church. They were worshiping. They were doing all that stuff. But... This is what God says. I know you. I see all your religious activity, but I know you're living. This is God now. You've not changed the treatment of the people around you. You're constantly fighting. You have an appearance of worship, but your life does not worship me. Church, please hear that. So then God gives them action steps. You know, at the end of the message, I give action steps. It's like, what are we going to do with what God said to us today? We've got to apply God's word. If we don't take God's word and begin to live it or allow God to change us in the ways God's speaking to us about change, then it does no good for us to hear God's word. This is what God is saying. So he gives his own people some action steps. You heard them. Let me, let me give them to you. This is what God says. This is what I want from you. God says, here's, here's the point of this. I'm going to reread the last part of verse 5 and go on because thankfully God's message didn't end there. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. 
This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh, the holidays are coming. Hey, there's a reason for this word in here. See, what God just said to him is, look, I'm giving you true living action to take. Because you worship me and you put on this cloak of righteousness, you're fasting, bemoaning yourself, saying amen in church. He's like, I know how you're living. I know what's going on in your life. I know how you're treating people. I know how you talk about people. I know how you treat your own family. See, God has some expectations. And these expectations, really, listen, I mean, it's like God just takes this fasting idea and this worship of Him and says, that doesn't mean nothing. What you're doing in front of me in church means nothing because this is what I'm telling you that I see in your life. Therefore, instead of fasting, why don't you start doing this? And He gives them that list. So I want you to know, church, today, this is the same God we serve. And he's telling us, if your worship doesn't match your life, your worship is worthless. See, we're supposed to be worshiping God in the way we live. We have, the church has screwed this up and pastors have screwed it up. And we've like called people to come to church to worship God. And then we leave. We are gathered together to worship, to hear from Him, to be with God, to be with His church, to be with His family, so that we can grow together. But we're not ending worship when the final words are prayed and we leave. We are continuing in worship in the way we live. And God says, that's what I see. <laughs> we can all stand. I don't, I, please hear me correctly today. I want you to hear this completely from my heart. I believe that this prophetic message is supposed to go to the whole church across our nation. I do. God's like, hey, it's great that you raise your hands and worship me. It's great that you applaud. But I want to see that in your life. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the load of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. So God absolutely gives them a list of things to do. He does. He's like, these are the things that matter to me. I see it happening in culture, community, in your nation, and in your life. Okay? So I want you to know that God's not saying, hey, uh, everybody in church today, you need to write all these down and go do this. That's not what he was saying. See, I want us to hear that what God was saying was, this is what's happening in your life, in your communities, and your nation. You need to be aware of what's happening out there, and you need to be engaged in doing something for me in the midst of that. That's what God's saying. Okay? Now then, church... What is happening right in front of us? Let's start with the last thing God said in our family. Avoiding them. Hiding our faith from them. Not sharing Jesus with them. Not repenting to them. Not forgiving them. I mean, let's start there. And then let's look at the brokenness of our society. We see the racial tension. 
We see economic tension. We see issues with law and, and legal and order. We see issues in political arenas. We see issues in school. We have issues with COVID and this disease things and all this stuff. All these things are happening. This is what God said to his people. He said, I don't care about your fasting. I care about how you're dealing with those things. How am I through you impacting that? And are you allowing that to be who you are rather than I am who you are? Is your life about me or that stuff? This is God's promise now, church. After he gives his people these action steps, calling them out and saying, this is what I'm looking for, just so you know. This is what I, God, am looking for in your life. He goes on. And he says this, when you live a life of worship to me, I will move on your behalf. One of the things that I, um, I want to, I don't want anybody to own this personally, so to speak, but let's own it corporately as the church of Jesus Christ. We're, we're praying and asking God to do a lot of stuff for us. We are, and we should. God promises to move on our behalf, but there's contingencies to God's promises. And it would seem with the lack of answers to our prayer that it's probably our lack of response to him. That's just all I'm going to say, and we'll move on. This is God's promise, verse number 8. Continuing, this is the same message from God. Then, what's then? If you start living and worshiping me in the reality of your world, then I'm going to do something. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. God didn't say you'll no longer have wounds, did he? He said, I'm gonna, your wounds will quickly, your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. <laughs> Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Isn't that awesome? God's calling His people, and He's saying, Come on! Let's be the church! Let's be who I died to make you! Let's let that world know that I exist and I am real! So here again, in the midst of it all, God gives promise and direction. He calls out right action and living and follows it up with more uh, blessings and promises. We keep reading verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Wow, is that awesome? I love that. That's where God said, Dave, this is what I want to do. This is what our God wants to do. This is His heart's desire is to restore our cities and rebuild our homes. That's God's desire. He's calling His people to respond to Him. 
God, we need rebuilders of cities and restorer of homes. We need this kind of move in our church. We need this kind of move in our community. We need this kind of move in our country. This is what we need. This is what God desires. God does not desire judgment. See, God gives these amazing promises to do. And he says, I will, when my people live their worship every day. We're living in a time when the church is praying and we're asking God to do a lot of stuff. We are and we should. With what is happening in our nation and the world, specifically our nation, the brokenness and division that is here. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that. There are people gathering right now in Washington, D.C. Some of our people are there with them praying. Franklin Graham, God bless him, calling people to pray. It's not about preaching or teaching. It's about calling on God. It's an amazing event. So blessed that there's people there from our congregation joining with the voices of those people that are lifting their voices up before God because God is the answer. Very grateful. Okay? Yes. People are fasting. People are praying, seeking God to move, asking God to change what's happening. Now, when I was reading these scriptures and when I look at our nation and the church and where we're at and stuff, um, I believe God's saying this. My people have to change. See, the nation can't change without God's people changing. The nation can't change without the truth of God being given to them. People can't change on their own They need God. We can modify behaviors, but we can't change. Only God can change us. So, I believe that God's calling us as his people, us and not just those of us here at CFF, I'm talking about his church. God is calling us to be living the faith. Worship is not a lifestyle or an, I'm sorry, worship is more than just an experience on Sunday. It is a lifestyle. It is something you live. A relationship with God is not something you get by visiting him on Sunday. So when we read the scripture, God isn't saying don't fast and pray. He's saying That does no good if you're not living truth. He still wants us to fast and pray. But along with it, he wants us to live in obedience to what he's already told us, right? So if if our life doesn't match what God expects of us, why would God move for us? Because truly, I'm I'm talking to our, our church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus right now. Most of our prayers are, God, change things, fix it. I want to continue with my comfortable life. <laughs> I mean, we really do. I mean, I want that. I'm not, I'm not denying that I want that. I don't want issues. I don't want struggles. But they're part of life, right? They are. So what we're asking God to do is, like, change everything and make it better. Better means do things the way I see them. <laughs> and I want them. So... Here's the thing, as we've been going through this, it was kind of funny, anyway, let's leave that alone. I read this verse a lot. I've read it through so many devotionals, and um, 
Twitter and news feeds and Christian things and all that, you all know this verse. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. Usually when you hear this verse or if someone's quoting it or they use it in a devotional, they leave one word off of that. It's the first one. It says then. Then. Right? So there's a reason why that word is there. All right? And it's, it's important. See, I've probably quoted it this way. If my people are called. It says then if my people. So there's something that's preceding this. Probably we should know what that what that actually is. We're really good at grabbing stuff we want to hear. But we need to know, why is that then there? What is that all about? So when you go into the context of that scripture, please know the background of it. Here's what it is. King Solomon had built God's temple of worship, an amazing place. And he dedicated it to God. And he offered offerings and sacrifices And when you read the scriptures, Solomon did a dedicatory prayer, one of the longest prayers you'll read in the Bible. And it says that the Spirit of God, the presence of God, so filled the temple that the priests couldn't even go in because the presence of God was so strong. Amazing. It's it's such a cool part of scripture. They couldn't even go in there. So God shows up, and God chose. God chose to allow his name to be attached to a people and to a house. All right? Now then, as we read that context of what happened, it says this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, preceding that, then if my people. Check it out. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer. I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. Remember, this is God talking. This is God talking in this amazing season of his presence. Don't forget that. This isn't a time of judgment. This isn't a time of of oppression. This is a time of amazing prosperity in Israel. God says this in the midst of their rejoicing. I might do this. So the heavens, so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. God's saying this to His people. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Okay, we kind of got a little different context to put that in now. See, God says, at times I may have to do stuff to you guys to remind you you need me. I will. I will. God will. So when I look at this, I'm like, wow, God, you know, you you said, I'm going to bring stuff in 
to mess with you, mess with your securities and your comforts so that you will seek my face. When you seek my face, I want you to know I'm there. And I will be attentive to you. And I'll answer you. So it's like, wow, God, that's amazing because this is really similar to what I was just reading in Isaiah. You were saying, like, it's more than just a religious show. It's not just a worship experience. It's a life. And you're calling us into this life. And so God's focus is always about right living, church. Please don't answer this. Please just hold your tongues for a minute. I don't want any yeses or amens or anything right now. I just want you to listen. Have we considered the plague of COVID to be from God? Not a judgment on them. (laughs) Listen. But as a judgment to the house of God to call His people to humble themselves in prayer and seek His face. Turn from their wicked ways. Repent and change. Have we even considered that it is actually because of the church, not the world, that God Himself has released this. Listen, church, I'm not telling you He did. I said, have we even considered it? Because God Himself said to His people, I will bring a plague on you. Why? Because you're not serving me. You're going through the motions. You're showing up on Sunday. But your life doesn't match. (laughs) Did you think that maybe this is a call from God to say, Hey, you're going down the tubes. Do you not see the destruction that is coming? Come to me. I'm not talking about the, the, the false churches out there. And there's a lot of them. I'm talking about the churches that bear the name Christian. That talk about Jesus. We're talking about God's people. Excuse me. And we have churches that bear the name of Christ. That support sins of abortion. That support the sin of unbiblical marriage. Sexual sins of every kind. Everyone bending the truth to their own lifestyle. We have churches with views of racism that is inbred into their very theology and doctrines while they talk about Jesus. We have churches that bear the name of Christ who gossip about one another. I'm not talking about the Baptists talking about the Lutherans. I'm talking about the CFF people talking about CFF people. I'm talking about people that are gossiping about other believers. That's the sin that's happening in the church. What do you think God's doing right now? God is saying, Hey, wake up! You need me! Church, I pray God help us, man, that we repent before it's too late. Talking about the church, that we in the church repent before it's too late. We have churches that do nothing to feed or help the poor. We have churches that are filled with people that watch porn secret. 
See, I do believe that the church is under judgment. I do. And I believe God's bringing that judgment. Bear with me for a minute, would you? This is not like, look, I'm just going to say it. I, I have, here, this is God. I believe he's speaking to us. So please hear me through again all the way. Let's just say all the prophetic conspiracy theories floating around on the internet are all true. All of them, they're true. Bill Gates is devising a way to get the mark of the beast in you. Okay? That, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not, please hear that correctly. I didn't say he was. I say, let's believe the con- prophetic conspiracy theories that are going around the church and the world are all true. Let's just say God's judgment is falling on the world and the tribulation is upon us. Let's say all hell's about to break loose. The Antichrist and the beast are about to step on the scene and it's all happening right here, right now. Let's just believe that there is some unknown forces that are going to illegally elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States to bring about this prophetic destruction upon the world and our nation. Let's say all that's true. There's a lot more of them. I'm just, I don't even want to get into all that garbage. Let's just say all of that is true. Now what? Church, now what? What has changed in my life and yours, in my relationship with God and what He's asking me to do? What's changed? Absolutely nothing. He's the same God, same Savior. I have the same relationship with Him. None of that affects this at all. None of it. The church is so busy to try and get all this stuff out there, and there's people in this congregation that do it, and I'm not on social media. I just know you are, because it's what we do. We're putting that message out there, but man, we're just not putting Jesus out there as the answer. What is the purpose? If, if all that prophetic stuff doesn't call people to a repentant life in Jesus Christ, what good is it? See, the prophetic message that was given through the prophet Isaiah to his people was this. Repent. God knows your life. He's calling you into relationship. If you will, he will. If you don't, this is what he's got. Right? No, none of that's there. None of that's there. I've wasted some of my time looking at it just so I could talk to you about it. I'm serious. That I'm not... I'm not I'm not trying to be wrong or mean or anything about that. Listen, but I'm saying like, what about it? What if it's all true? What has God asked of you today? What is he asking of me today? To push forward? I think he wants more than that. To send it to everybody else? To engage them in arguments about their living? God's calling us to repent. Now what, church? (laughs) Man, I'm already out of time. I told you I wouldn't do this, and here we are. 
the tech team moved the clock forward, so I already know that I have more time than it says. <laughs> so, see, if all that stuff was true, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, God's Word tells us certain things are going to happen. We don't know the events or how it's going to unfold. We don't. Whatever anybody tells you, they don't know. Jesus himself said that to his disciples. Come on, man, in Acts 1. Yeah, I don't know. Nobody knows. Only the Father. So knock it off. So God is the only one that will bring about an end of all things. God is. Church, please plant that deep in your heart. God is the only one who will bring an end to all things. See, Bill Gates isn't going to change God's plan. COVID is not in charge. Presidents, lawyers, governments, governors, rioters, they're not in control, church. God is. So God alone will determine how and when biblical prophecies will be fulfilled. God alone. Not us. God will. See, God responds to repentance. God withholds judgment. Even when he's already proclaimed judgment. Isn't that good? Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Jonah chapter 3, we'll be reading real fast. I know we're a lot of time. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, and sat in a heap of ashes. Oh, we've heard that before, didn't we? But check this part out. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one... Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Whoa, this is a pagan king, church. He's making a call to people to change the way they're living. Because God's judgment had been proclaimed. Check it out. More. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done, how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. I want you to change your mind, God. Jonah was ticked off. Do you know that? Jonah was ticked off that God didn't bring the fire. He was a real jerk, by the way. There's a lot of pastors that are jerks. So this is what it says right after that. God changed his mind. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted doesn't happen. 
Isn't that crazy? It's about Him, not God. It's about judgment, not mercy. But I love the fact that what He proclaimed is who our God is. God does not want judgment to fall. He doesn't want to destroy us. It's not like God's desire to destroy the United States of America. It is God's desire to destroy sin and the brokenness. And it is God's desire to call people to repentance. Action steps. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? If you haven't, make today the day. He is the answer. He's who you need. If you're online, please contact us. We want to help you in your new journey. Are you living your worship every day, church? Are you doing everything God has asked you to do? These are the last days. What are you going to do? What do you need to do? This is it. Today's the day. It's all over. What do you need to do? Church, I'll, I invite you to come to the altar this morning. If God's speaking to you, repent, man. Come to Him. Just respond. Front seats are open. If you need to sit down and you can't kneel, that's fine. Not about me and you. It's about Him and what He knows about our life. What He's calling us into. What He's calling us out of. God's not here to accommodate us. He's here to call us into a new life. A change. An experience with Him that is about Him. Father, as we are here in Your presence, God, we need You desperately. Not just to make things smooth in our nation. God, we need You to come into Your church and burn, heal, forgive, restore. God, first we want to say forgive us for neglecting our own family. Forgive us for neglecting the poor and the homeless and the needy. clear you're dismissed please exit this door god bless you thanks for being here today i don't want to hold you but i also don't want to stop our time of prayer and just being with god so invite you to be a part of that or if you had need to exit i totally understand that god bless you today